Woke means it's, it's a, it's, it is a um, modern slang word, which means to be aware of social injustice that happens around us, like to be woke to the fact that that um, there is still subtle racism or, or children are going to school hungry. Let's stay woke. Let's stay woke. Let's be aware of what's going on around. Let's, and do something about it. Um, woke also means to that, that, that you've just become aware of something. Like I've just become aware that, that the tooth theory doesn't actually exist and that it's not. And it was my mom and dad who actually put the gold coin, uh, gold coin, uh, $2, $1 underneath my pillow. Uh, yes, yeah, they still do it. I've been losing it. No. And so, uh, so I've become woke to the fact that something is happening. And so the series really, we've been looking at the 1800s, and we have an amazing heritage. We've got this amazing um, message of the gospel being spread throughout New Zealand. And in the 1800s, we had um, about 80 to 85% Māori come to Christ for the very first time. Um, The work of the missionaries that came from Great Britain um, did an amazing work. The love that they had for the people. And it's amazing because it's, it's something that most of us don't really know, that that we've got to stay woke to our history and, and what God was doing. If God could do it in the 1800s, He can do it again today. Amen? Amen? So I really want us to open up our Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. And it's the Sermon at the Mountain. Jesus begins to, to uh, outline what we will call the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes um, are the, is, is like the ideal Jesus follower, the ideal disciple, what that looks like and the rewards and the present and the future. So it begins to outline the, what we would call the Beatitudes. So if you want to be an ideal uh, Christian, have a read of the Beatitudes and, and then apply it into your life and you'll begin to reap the rewards in the present and in the future. But we're just going to be focusing on one. We're going to magnify one. Everybody say magnify. magnify. We're going to magnify one. So turn with me to, to Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. And it's basically this, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed be the peacemakers, for they'll be called children of God. Now, peace means reconciliation. And God is the author of reconciliation. And He's the author of peace. God is peace. So when we begin to work for, when we begin to seek reconciliation and peace, we are walking in the authority of God because God is peace. No wonder Jesus said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for you'll be called children of God. And when we have a grudge, has anybody ever had a grudge before? When we've had a grudge, and we'll have a grudge with somebody because, you know, um, they were wrong, you were right, they were wrong, it's their fault. But when we look at the Bible, the Bible never talks about who's right or wrong, except that we should work for reconciliation. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they'll be called children of the living God. Does anybody still read the Herald? Anybody read the Herald? The New Zealand Post, oh, sorry, the New Zealand Post, the, the, New Zealand, the papers. Anybody still use physical paper, read paper? Has anybody looked, used the app on their phone? Yeah, yeah, I use the app on my phone, and quite often I love reading the, the Herald. I just go straight to the business section and see where the markets are going. Okay, no, I don't. I just go to the sports section. Um, but did you know that the first edition of the New Zealand Herald was first published, it was Friday the 13th, November 1863 was the very first publication of the New Zealand Herald. And when it came to announcing the very first New Zealander of the year, you would hope to think in 1863 that it will be a peacemaker. So the New Zealand Herald chose Governor George Gray. Governor George Gray. And here's a picture of Governor Gray. 
He looks very amazing. Here he is. Good picture of this handsome young man. <laughs> Governor Gray. And so Governor Gray was instrumental in setting up British rule uh, in New Zealand during the New Zealand Wars. And the New Zealand Herald w- w- would say of Governor Gray, it would say uh, they praised Gray for attempting to preserve peace during the New Zealand Wars. But today I want to talk about a contemporary of George Gray, a person from the same time period as George Gray. Um, in fact, the Herald, the Herald of 1863 would refer to his, quote, his, his well-known treachery. And the government would label a rebel. And his name is Wurumu Tamihana. Wurumu Tamihana. Here he is. And so the, the government will label this man a rebel. So I thought I would love to start with a rebel, this, this series, and talk about a, a rebel here in New Zealand who the government will call. So Wurumu Tamihana, he was born Tara Pipipi. Everybody say Tara Pipipi. Tara Pipipi. It kind of just rolls off your lips, right? Nice and easy. Tara Pipipi. Well, Tara Pipipi, he was born in, in 18... 05, and his father was Te Waharo, the, the chief of Ngati, Ngati Hoa. And, uh, and Te Waharo, he was a man of war. He was strategic. He was intelligent. In fact, the missionaries will say of Te Waharo's warfare that he was evil and, uh, and he was cruel in his warfare. But then they'll go, but yet he loved the missionaries. <laughs> Te Waharo, yet he loved the missionaries. In fact, Te Waharo would invite the missionaries to come and, and live and teach his people. And so, he's, and so the first missionaries that came was Alfred Brown. So here's a picture of Alfred Brown. Right here, Alfred Brown. And so he will come and teach the people. And he will come to Ngati Hoa, to the Matamatapa. If you know where modern-day Waharo is, this is, where, this is where this took place. And so he began to teach the people how to read and write. And Tata Pipipi was one of the very first students of Alfred Brown. And Tata Pipipi learned how to, how to read, and he learned how to write in Māori. Um, and it took him only six months. See, prior to this, Tata Pipipi, being the son of this, of this warrior chief, this, this warlord, he was cut from the same cloth as his father, and he was of the warrior class. And, and during the 1820s, he would lead... He will lead battles um, against the uh, tribes in Taranaki and, and in Waikato. And, and, and right up until the 1830s, when war broke out between Ngati Hoa and Te Arawa in Rotorua. So he would le- uh, lead the fighting um, in this area. If, if these names, Tara Pipipi, Alfred Brown, if these all sound familiar, um, they should, because if you've been following this series, we spoke about Alfred Brown two weeks ago when we shared about the story of Tarore, because this is the same village, this is the same setting, this is where Tara Pipipi grew up, and this, is, uh, and this is his story as well. And when we look at history, in fact, this is my opinion I'm going to share with you, when, I, when we look at history, um, historians don't really, connect, don't really connect the story of Tarore and the story of Tara Pipipi together. But when I look at history, I, I can see the dots connecting. And so this is my opinion, but in my personal opinion, I believe that Tara Pipipi was heavily influenced of, about, around, of what had happened to Tarore. And if we remember the story of Tarore, those who came a few weeks ago, Tarore was 12 years of age. Her, her father was the chief of their pa, the Matamata pa, Ngakuku, the nephew of Te Waharo and cousin to Tara Pipipi. And so they, they were also were students of Alfred Brown, and Ngakuku and Tarore converted Christianity. 
And so uh, Tarore was able to, he, she memorized the book of Luke and Mold and began to teach the people. Um, and war breaks out between, between Ngati Hoa and Tiarawa. And so Alfred Brown got so bad that Alfred Brown had to leave the mission station and go to Tauranga. So, um, so, so Ngakuku takes the children and Tarore and, and decides to follow after Alfred Brown. On the way there, they camp at Wairere Falls, and a tribe from Te Arawa comes across, and in the, bat, in, in, in this, in the, 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 the fight, Tarore is killed. Now, now I believe that um, Tarapipipi was there when Ngakuku comes back to the village carrying his, her, his slain daughter. And the reason why I believe this is because in a letter that Ta, Tarapipipi wrote to Governor Grain, and in the letter, he would say this. He would say, he would say that his conversion happened during the, battle, uh, during the war between Ngati Hoa and Te Arawa. So it was the same time period. But what's interesting, he would say this. This is his words. My karakia commenced after the departure of my minister. And his minister was Alfred Brown. So he, his karakia, uh, Willie last week, shared in depth what karakia means. And, and in short, karakia means transformation. So Tarapipipi is saying this, my transformation, my conversion, my transformation, the time frame of that is when Alfred Brown left, and he places himself right there at the, that, 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 that event when Ngakuku comes carrying his daughter. And, and he says this, he says, my karakia commenced after the departure of my minister. He went to Tauranga, and I stood in this place. The war at Tauranga still carried on. I urged that the feud should cease. And the war was ended, talking of the Tiarawa and the Ngati Hoa War. So he places himself there. And he's there when Ngakuku is burying his daughter. And the tribe people are saying, uh, are saying, Utu, Utu. Remember, Utu does not mean revenge. It means the cost. The cost. The cost of her, of her death is, is, is another life, is blood. We must take revenge because the cost is an atonement of life. And this was their karakia. This, so this was their tikanga. This was who they were. If you take one of our lives, we're going to take one of your life. Your life. This was their way. This was their way of life. But Ngakuku, what he says, the statement he makes, is history changing. And he says there will be no bloodshed. There will be no revenge. Um, there will be peace be made. There will be reconciliation be made with Te Arawa. It's unheard of. And, Ta, and Tarore was about 12 years of age, and, and Tarapipipi, he would have been 30 years of age. He would have looked at Tarore as a younger sister. And, and you can imagine, he, just, he was already involved in the war. He, you can imagine that his thinking was revenge. He's of the warrior class. But the words of Ngakuku, something changed that day. Another spirit was at work in his life. Two years later, the great chief Te Waharo dies. Tarapipipi becomes the chief. The tribes people urge him to, to fight against, again against Te Arawa to keep his father's name alive. He says, no, peace will remain. Reconciliation will remain. See, another spirit was at work in his life, not the spirit of revenge. One year later, 1839, Alfred Brown baptizes Tarapipipi. And he changes his name to Wurumu Tamihana. Wurumu 
Tamihana. The Pākehā will call him William Thompson. William Thompson. The Bible becomes his choice as the weapon of his warfare, and he'll begin to preach the gospel message around that area. He would then take lead in the schools because the missionaries had left, and he'll begin to teach the people how to read and write. He would begin to intercede in other warring tribes and bring peace, taking the gospel message. His reputation began to grow as a peacemaker, and he became, became well-respected by all the tribes. This man of peace, this peacemaker, this, this man who was of the warrior class, but by the power of the Holy Spirit, he becomes a peacemaker for Jesus Christ. He brings a real change. A real change. Wudamu Tamihana's qualities are of intellect, his leadership, courage, eloquence, and diplomacy were significant in his life. His leadership and his efforts to abide by Christian ideas prevented many wars from happening. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they'll be called children of God. He will go on and he will set up his own Christian pa, his own Christian villages. And in his first village that he, that he set up, um, he built a church. And the church that he built could sit 1,000 people. This church that he had built, 1,000, that's three times bigger than this room. Missionaries who visited said that this was the biggest native-built building in all of Aotearoa. Never of its kind. They've never seen anything of its kind. He would go on to build another Christian path. And, he, and he, it was well-organized. He had streets. He had set up farming, fruit trees. It had its own post office, its own schoolhouse. It had its own church. It was a thriving Christian community. And he would write up its own, his own code of behavior based upon the, the Ten Commandments in his own handwriting. And he would say, you know what? If you don't like it, go live somewhere else. Other tribes begin to adopt his principles. In fact, the Māori King movement were based upon these principles. Fast forward to the 1850s, and, and tension is rising with the, the, the government of the time because, because of land issues. Tata Pipipi is concerned because it seems like the, the Pākehā had, had one law for them, but no law for the Māori. And, and so they had infrastructure just for themselves, and infrastructure for schooling and, and, um, and medical uh, centres, and they had law and order. And, and, and so he goes and he sees them and says, can we begin to build this infrastructure amongst the Māori people? Are we all one people, according to the Treaty of Waitangi? Are we all, shouldn't there be one law for all of us? And he goes to Auckland and he sits in the office and he's there for two days where he's ignored, ignored by the government. He's just some Māori from the Waikato. He leaves there. He leaves, he leaves there saddened and heartbroken that the, that the people that he loved will not be heard. He goes back to the Waikato and he begins to set up and begins to, to visit all the tribes to, to bring the people together, to set up the, the king movement. And Wurumu Tamihana does something that no one else has ever done in the history of Aotearoa as he brings peace amongst the Māori people. For the very first time, every tribe, the fighting has stopped, war has stopped, and he, bring, and he unites them together under one king, under one God. For the very first time, and he will declare that our religion is Christianity. We are all Christians. He makes this bold declaration, not 80 or 85% of us are Christians. He said 100% of us are Christian. Jesus is our king. And under the king movement, 
And it was his dream and it was hope that the King movement will work alongside the Pakia government under Queen Victoria, that they will share this land in peace and work together. In fact, Wurumu Tamihana was instrumental in the coronation of the first Māori king. During the coronation, he placed a Bible over the, the king's head and said, your crown will not be made of gold, but it will be, be built upon the word of God. And um, that the king moon will be based upon the scriptures forever. And even today, this still happens today, where, where the, the direct descendants of Wurumu Tamihana Today, when a new monarch comes into power, that the, the direct descendant will place the, the same Bible that, that Wurumu had over the head. In fact, you can see Wurumu, uh, Wurumu's Bible at the Auckland, Univ- at Auckland Museum. It's there. You can visit it and you can have a look for yourself. His Bible's still there at the moment. So he sets up this, the king movement and the people are united. The people are organized they're, they're, uh, for the very first time. Uh, and he sets up farming communities, and, 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 and the Waikato is, is, is well-farmed, well-organized, well-cultivated, and they're producing uh, produce, and they're selling it to the settlers up in Auckland. And, and, and things are happening, and peace is happening, and, and the love of God has been preached throughout the land. But trouble is in the air. The government begins to build a road towards the Waikato. Because in the 1860s, more settlers are arriving. More settlers are arriving. And what do settlers want? They want land. And they're arriving, arriving. And, and, and the pressure is now on the government. And they're looking at this lush land in the Waikato. And then they begin, and he begins to amass this army in Auckland. Governor Gray amasses this army in Auckland. In fact, 12,000 um, soldiers are now in Auckland. There was, more, there was more soldiers in Auckland than there was in all of England. And he's building this road, this great road. These soldiers build this great road, they, uh, which they call the Great South Road, which we call our motorway. They build it all the way to the Waikato. And, and Wurimu Tamihana, he starts writing letters to the governor, and he's saying, the, he's saying oh, we want to work with you. We want to work in peace. Why is the army building this road? He says, oh, just so we can have better connections. And then he keeps writing back to them, why are they building barracks? Why, why are more army coming? And he goes, we want to work in peace with you. Basically, the, govern, governor, the government makes an ultimatum with them. And in long story short, basically the government says this to them. It says, retain your land only as long as you're strong enough to keep it. Governor Gray is playing hardball. He's not just making speeches. He's saying, you know, protect your land only if you're strong enough to hold it. I've got 12,000 soldiers behind me. Wurumu Tamihana responds with this letter. This is the Maori response. He sends this letter to Governor Gray. In Christ Jesus, yea, who sometimes we're far off, are made close by the blood of Christ. In Christ Jesus, the one who turned the other cheek and said, put down your sword. The one who said, blessed are those who persecute you. Then on the cross, Father, forgive. In Christ Jesus, once you were far off, you governor from England, you royal Australian Navy, you settlers from Ireland, Scotland, made close by the blood of Christ, that peace 
is possible. Wurumu Tamihana is trying to prevent a war that he can see that's coming. And he writes this letter to, to, we are Christian just like you. Jesus connects us. We are one people. Jesus can, peace is possible. Then Wurumu Tamihana goes on. That please, if you start singing Psalms 23, the Lord is my shepherd. And you should also sing until the end of Psalms 23. You prepare a table of goodness and mercy for all of us forever and ever. The Maori response was peace, the peace of Jesus. Let's talk. The government will then call Wiramu Tomihana a rebel. If you are faced with 12,000 soldiers coming against you and this ultimatum, retain your land as long as you're strong enough to hold it, and if you were going to use a scripture from the Bible to protect your family, what Bible verse will you use? Because let me tell you what Bible verse Wiramu Tomihana used to lead from. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13 to 14. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace. He has made the two groups one. And he has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. When the apostle Paul penned this, writing this letter to the church of Ephesus, because there's tension, there's racial tension within the church between the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians. The Jewish Christians saw themselves as more superior. Paul's like, we are one in Christ. Jesus connects us. Bring down your walls of hostility. We are one people. It is through Jesus Christ who sets us free. Wurumu Tamihana. He brings this radical idea to the governor. He said, Jesus is the, only, is the only one who connects us. We are one people. Come on, let the Pakia, let the Maori learn to pull the walls down. For we are one people under one God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Wurumu Tamihana labeled a rebel. A peacemaker labeled a rebel. You know, there was another peacemaker in history who was labeled, by, labeled as a rebel. They crucified him. And as Jesus died on the cross, the Bible tells us that in the temple, the curtain is torn from top to bottom. The curtain that separated the most holy place where God's presence reside and the rest of man. The curtain represented the separation between man and God. And that Jesus' death on the cross brought down the destruction of this dividing barrier and opens up the door between man and God so we can now have a right relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus was willing to die to bring down the barrier. I wonder, I wonder, what are you willing to do? 
What are you willing to do to bring down the barrier that separates you from another people group? What are you willing to do to bring down the barrier that separates you from your husband, that separates you from your wife, that separates you from your loved one, that separates you from your workmates, that separates you from your boss? What are you willing to do? Peace is not the absence of power. Peace is the presence of love. Peace is not the absence of power. Peace is the presence of love. When you magnify love, you magnify peace. When you magnify love, you magnify peace. Because what you magnify, you get more of. What you magnify, you get more of. What are you magnifying right now? Are you magnifying the faults that you see in other people? Because when we begin to magnify the faults in other people, we can't see the good that's inside of them. Because we chose to magnify the faults. Begin to magnify love and you'll magnify peace. What are you willing to do to bring down the walls? the barrier that separates us. Maybe if Governor Gray magnified love instead of pride, they would never have invaded Waikato in 1863. Maybe if Governor Gray magnified love, the love of Wurimu Tamihana, peace would have prevailed. The Waikato Māori lost 4% of its population during that invasion. Most of them were women and children. When we think about the Great War, World War I, it's considered where we lost the most people in any war. New Zealand lost 2% of its population that day. Most of them were young men. The Waikato Māori, 4%. Most women and children. In 1995, the Crown apologized for the invasion of Waikato and the subsequent confiscation of 3.25 million acres of the most fertile land of Waikato and the Taranaki districts. The Crown acknowledged that the fault lay with its representative, Governor George Gray, and not the King Movement. See, this is not, this wasn't a race thing. This is about dumb decisions. Think about all your dumb decisions that you've made in your life. Anybody make dumb decisions before? (laughs) All our dumb decisions were based upon faults that we magnified. I love what the New Zealand Herald do after, when they celebrated their 150th anniversary, in 2013, on November the 13th, they, they re-examined their, their first year in history. And this is, from, this is out of the New Zealand Herald from 2013. From the perspective of the 21st century, therefore, it is, it is impossible to accept the original choice of Gray as New Zealander of the year. Instead, we chose Wurimu Tamihana. Come on, I think that deserves a round of applause. more commonly known in the Pakia press at the time as William Thompson. 
Angati Hoa chief, who, more truly than Gray, was a peacemaker, caught up in a war not of his own making. With hindsight then, Urumu Tamihana Tarapipipi Te Waharoa is the New Zealander of the year for 1863. And, and you know the Herald wasn't finished there. They will go on to name Wurumu Tamihana in the top 10 of the greatest New Zealanders of all time. A list that includes Kate Shepherd, Ernest Rutherford, Apirana Ngata, Catherine Mansfield, Jean Batten, Michael Joseph Savage, Fina Cooper, Edmund Hillary, and of course, Richie McCaw. Come on. Rugby had to be in there in the top 10 somewhere. What you magnify, you get more of. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they'll be called children of God. Let us pray.